Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. I have bad news. I was an idiot. I'm recording this thing late, as I will mention in the intro to this pod, but I forgot to have my microphone plugged in from my one computer that I was using for the Twitch show to the next. It's 20 minutes. It's 1.30 in the morning. I can't go back and refresh this thing, so the audio sucks on this intro. Again, I apologize for the audio quality, but it is what it is. I can't re-record it. I got a lot of things talked about in here that have my immediate reaction on this Victory Monday pod. Enjoy it. Again, I apologize. Will not be a regular thing with audio, but uh, yeah, let's get over to the pod. Start right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. It is like 1.10 a.m. here on what is now Monday morning. Your Browns won 19-10 over the Atlanta Falcons. Recording late because the Twitch channel show went late. We had uh, our usual post-game show that went live around 11 o'clock when the game ended. And we did uh, we did not sign off until right about 1 a.m. So I'm hopping over here to try to pull off a podcast with some of my immediate reactions. If you did not watch the Twitch show, if you, uh, if you just get your podcast form every morning or you're not a lunatic like the, the folks who were awesome enough to stay up, I want to go through what I thought of the game. I put down notes. A lot of thoughts. Uh, I just want to give my initial reactions to many of the things that I saw. And then I will also be posting in here our Twitch Q&A session, which was myself and Stephen Thomas going through every question that a user would throw up uh, onto the comment section. We would try to answer that for them. So I want to have that there too. And if, again, there are alerts on there for subscriptions and things like that, I'm sorry. Nothing I can do. But there's some good content and good opinions there. So like I said, Browns win 19-10. Pretty good showing overall. The stats were a bit more separated than I thought they would be. 26 first downs to 12 for Atlanta. 443 Cleveland yards to only 241 for the Falcons. Uh, 75 offensive plays for Cleveland, only 54 for Atlanta. 5.9 yards per play Cleveland, 4.5 for Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons did outrush Cleveland 80-71, to 71, but the, the passing yards is where the difference ended up being. 372 Cleveland passing yards to 161 for the Falcons. Uh, the time of possession, 3509 to 2451. Cleveland dominated there. That's where you get your 20 play difference, and uh, that makes the time. John Kelly, 10 for 30 on the ground. Metric Felton, 4 for 15. Kyle Aletta, 11 for 22, a buck 50, a touchdown, two interceptions. Baker Mayfield, 6 of 10, 113, a touchdown. Case Keenum, 12 of 19, 109. Uh, Jamarcus Bradley played a lot, of, a lot of snaps in the slot, out wide playing Z. He uh, is, again, number 84. He had three catches for 55 yards. Kyle Markway had five for 54, which is pretty good for a tight end. They just brought back into the fold due to Connor Davis's IR situation. Davion Davis, again, flashed five catches, 53 yards, a touchdown. Jordan Franks, again, flashed four catches, 45 yards, no drops, whatever, air quotes. BFF actually didn't even charge him with a drop last week because those were two contested plays against the Giants. Dearness Johnson catches five out of the backfield for 44 Kadero Hodge, two for 42, a touchdown, a fantastic catch on that touchdown ball. Austin Hooper, that ball he caught in the left, slat, uh, the left, the left flat on that slant, uh, slant flat combination concept where Falcons players, corner and slot defender just ran into each other. 35-yard gain. John Kelly, one for 26. Donovan Peoples-Jones catches a curl at eight yards. 
and then Anthony Schwartz catches a hitch for six yards. He had a couple more targets though. Uh, he had a they only listed him at one target, but I know for a fact. Well, he had the 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 early in the game first drive third down fade. I mean, it might have been second down fade throw that came from Baker that was a pass interference. So that was his second target. So uh, that's your offensive standout players. AJ Green had six tackles. He was targeted a little bit more in this game. Gave up some receptions. Some of the zone stuff that appeared to be on him, I did not think one catch was on him over the deep middle. Thought Sheldrick Redwine got turned around in cover three. We'll talk about that when we get the All-22 film. But, he, you know, he's he's right around the football. Got to make some plays on the ball, but not terrible, not great. His catching the football on a punt was strange, right? Like, really, really weird. I don't know why he did that. I'm sure he's getting made fun of pretty regularly for that mistake. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I still think he's the fifth corner. Greg Newsom had four tackles. Javante Moffitt, again, solid four tackles. A whole slew of guys with three. Uh Sacks-wise, Cameron Malveaux had two sacks for 12-yard loss. T. Gray Scales had that sack on the red zone, uh, the opposite red zone, obviously. Had a nice sack. And then Sheldon Day had a half a sack. Malik McDowell had a half sack. Malik McDowell's stat line does not do him justice. I thought he created uh, created sacks for others, created pressure, a dominant performance when he needed a dominant performance to actually make the roster. And I think he is a roster player now. Let's talk about these things. Let's go through drive-by-drive drive and look at this. The first drive was interesting. Uh, the Browns ended up going. Let me make sure I pull these things possession by possession up here. Cleveland gets the opening kickoff, goes eight plays, 48 yards, ends up turning it over on downs. Uh, I thought what was interesting, they go 12, 12, 12, 11, 11, so heavier personnel to start than as they move the football down the field. Um, actually, that's the wrong notes. Let's look at the notes I actually have here. They went 12 personnel, 12 personnel empty, 11 personnel empty. 13 personnel. First time I've seen 13 personnel in the in the preseason. Just a heads up there. 11 personnel, 11 personnel, 21, 12, 11. So they're mixing it up. Okay. I, I thought what stood out to me was Schwartz played a little bit of X. He actually had that deep fade, though, that turned into a pass interference. Your starters were Donovan Peoples-Jones and Kadero Hodge, the outside. Hooper with that nice gain on the slant flat. Okay. Two batted balls. I think what Baker, you know, people are like, well, you got to use your eyes to manipulate people. Well, when you're throwing the ball quick, you can't manipulate with your eyes that much. You got to change your arm angle. You got to feel out where somebody is and try to maybe take a little quick step inside to to get around somebody. Or as we see is becoming popular, drop the elbow a little bit if you can and try to throw it that way. Otherwise, if you stare somebody, you know, if a DN knows he's not or a D tackle knows he's not going to get to you, he's going to throw the hands up and try to bat it down. Baker's got to try to be creative about those. And I think he can be over time. Got to stay getting, you know, got to be comfortable, get comfortable in those scenarios. So, um, the, the, listen, the play action. Uh, they, they did not actually expose much play action on that drive. The fourth down play, it, the third down play on the corner route, I think it was to Hodge. I'll have to rewatch when I do my comprehensive breakdown. I thought Baker put a ball out there that could have been a touchdown on a, on a, on a sort of sale-ish corner route where he put it where only his guy could get it. But I think it was Hodge who fell down uh, before he arrived to the football. The fourth down play looked like uh, Hooper had a chance to catch that. Uh, catch that settle or curl right there, but dropped it. Didn't didn't wasn't able to bring it in, and it would have been short. It looks like too. So again, we'll cover that in the breakdown. The defense played pretty well to start. Uh, there was a down situation. They gained 36 yards, but they they were able to get a punt and a field goal to start, covering 52 and 36. And then they were able to get them off the field on the next two drives on three plays, three and out situations for punts, and then they created a fumble uh, as well to start the second half. But uh, guys who stood out to me defensively as the game started, uh, you know, uh, Mac Wilson played a little bit early. And I thought Mac Wilson played a pretty good game. Anthony Walker was fine. I have to rewatch it to see how he really played. What was alarming was Greg Newsom in the slot. 
That caught my attention early. They started Brian Allen outside. They started uh, A.J. Green outside. Those guys played a ton of snaps tonight. Obviously missing the front-line guys, Troy Hill, Greedy, Greedy Williams, uh, Denzel Ward. So Newsom playing the slot a lot, which, I, again, I think is a way that they can be creative. I think Troy Hill's going to be the nickel when they go nickel, but if they want to go dime, they need a corner to play inside and bump Greedy outside, play Denzel outside, play your two safeties. I think that's where Newsom getting slot experience can be a really beneficial thing for them and also having the ability to do it whenever he is his team or the scheme calls for it because he's that type of player. still think he starts on the outside, but uh, – yeah, I thought him playing the slot so much early was interesting. I thought he tackled fairly well. We'll see what his grade turns into, but I, I was I was pleased with how he played uh, overall. The second drive for the offense is where I thought Baker really had a great, great showing. They had a nice little screen pass to Dearness Johnson. They had a fun orbit motion they showed where Felton went in flat motion and then back behind the quarterback. Loved that. Big shot throw there in the end zone to, to, to Hodge was just an absolute dot. Again, I don't think that throw will get enough coverage, but it needs to get a lot of coverage because for him to be able to roll out left, and again, it's not a natural roll. Coming off a boot fake where you got to turn your shoulders, and then at the last second you'll notice he flips he flips the hips, hands in his face, fading away, and drops that sucker in uh, relatively on a line, not on a, uh, a line drive, but with nice trajectory, drops it in the bucket where only Hodge can get it and, and slide into the end zone for a touchdown. That was a fantastic, was an elite throw that is so much more challenging than people think it is so shout out to baker for that great finish to the day again he was six of ten was all he was and and he stayed healthy everything worked out for the best there stayed healthy i thought it was the type of showing he needed to have he was decisive when they they threw quick scheme stuff again the, the batted balls weren't great it's a part of why i think his his completion percentage some of those little like little throws he needs to create uh, the, the right tempo or the right accuracy or the right arm angle is the difference between a 62% completion percentage on the year and a 68-69. Like, that's the stuff I would like to see him get a little better at. But overall, I'm just nitpicking otherwise. I, I thought he played well. Those were two series that you wanted to see from him. Thought he was fine. 6 of 10, buck 13, touchdown, 132.5 rating. You know, this is what the NFL uh, immediate update site tells me. So don't get all offended about the rating and all that stuff. What you prefer is what you prefer. But I thought he was good. Case Keenum, I thought he was 12-19, a buck 9 was okay. Had a ball that blatantly should have been picked off on a deep dig that was not picked off. A little inaccurate when I need him to tighten up the accuracy on ball placement. Saying he didn't play well, you know, I thought he was fine overall. He, he led some drives down the field. I think he had a drive that could have led to points. They, they obviously could have kicked a field goal down there uh, when they went for it on downs. It was a 58-8 play, 58-yard drive. I thought, they, like I said, they could have kicked a field goal, but whatever. They didn't. Then he got them in position with a field goal attempt late that was just missed off the off the upright by McLaughlin. So, um, again, I thought he was fine. So, Kyle Aletta has to be perfect. I said it last week. He was not perfect last week, especially in the second half. Was not perfect tonight. The first interception was not on him. Colby Gossett got swim-moved back inside and got his quarterback crushed. And, again, crushed when... Again, when he was chasing down the play, Laletta before Gossett recovered it because he had a head start on everybody else running the opposite direction, yelling, look out. So that one wasn't on him. The second one more on him. The running back missed a block he needed to make there on the overhang defender, got in his face. So he tried to throw that fadeaway ball with somebody in his face and did not work out the way it did for Baker. It sails and gets picked off by deep coverage. Uh, pretty ugly throw there. I, again, 
This is not a, well, I'm going to do my prediction on 53 minute tomorrow, but I, I think Case is your backup quarterback. I think that's been the case all along. No pun intended there. Been the case all along. Uh, and then Kyle Ouellette is a guy I would like to get to the practice squad. Maybe he, you know, if, 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 uh, Garrett Gilbert can get picked up by somebody to be a backup. It's possible Lalletta could get picked up. The, the thing is, it's tough to bring in a quarterback without having a crisis at backup quarterback. It's tough to bring in a backup like this, this, this right into week one, because they got to learn your whole system and they got to be on the roster. You claim them, they're on your roster, they're on your 53. So, like, bringing a guy in means he's got to be on your 53. He doesn't know the offense. There's a lot of stuff there. So, I, I just think that that's where it's going to be extremely interesting to see what, if, if Lalletta can sneak through, because he would be an ideal. Uh, backup quarterback for me in 2022 when Case leaves to save cap. He'd be cheap. He can do some things in this offense, as we've seen. Has to be more consistent, but that's what, you know, he's in the situation because of the lack of consistency. So, you know, you got to look down the line. He's a guy who could learn in the system for a year, play in the practice squad, uh, perform the schemes that they want him to perform. Again, he'll do a lot of scout team, but he can get better. And, and that's what you would hope for him. And Uh, present the opportunity to have a quarterback familiar with the system, the coaching staff, the front office, all of it going into 2022. You wouldn't have to solve the backup uh, position role. So we'll see. I I like enough of him. Didn't play well tonight. Will grade poorly, but there's enough there for me to feel comfortable with him being your practice squad guy. So let's talk uh, Dearness Felton. There's some tough decisions to be made. Buzz out of uh, uh, our side at the OBR and Brad Brad Stainbrook was that Canero Hodges cut. Uh, essentially cut due to cap and, and some other things. It's a, it's a deep position room. The same with the running back situation. Dearness Johnson is really good, but it's a deep you know, position room with Demetric Felton if they have to get really weird with a spot to save a spot for you. If they want to keep uh, if they want to keep Hodge or if they want to keep Felton, there's just a lot of moving parts there. So that I don't have an answer for how it's going to shake out. Maybe Hodge does get cut, but he did everything in his power tonight to not get cut. It's a fantastic catch. They like him a lot. And again, he won the first receiver up role last year coming out of camp. He was the first guy up outside if somebody got hurt until he got hurt. That opened a window for DPJ, which then the OBJ injury opened another window for Richard Higgins. And that's what the collective last two-thirds of the year was was those two guys, but Kadero Hodge won that role. They like him, but do they like Rashard Higgins' consistency more? The DPJ growth has really put a put a weird situation for Hodge because DPJ has just been so good, and Demetri Felton has wide receiver ability. They obviously value Anthony Schwartz. They played him early. They got him involved. Uh, they, they like him, so there's just, if somebody's going to get cut that you don't like to get cut, and it's it's a challenging thing because we for so long have not really totally cared about all the guys that they cut. So it sucks, but be prepared to be hurt maybe by somebody you really like and the Browns have to make a tough call on. Defensively, like I said, Jordan Elliott continues to flash. Finally showed up. You're going to hear me talk about him in the Q&A. He has had two straight great games. I thought Malik McDowell has now two, had two straight games. There's a, there's, a, there's a flux thing here with who they want to keep. Does Tommy Togi I have a role? And if he does, is Andrew Billings the sacrificial player there? Does Sheldon Day have a role if they keep five defensive tackles? As he sacrificed a guy who played late into the game, played defensive end well into the fourth quarter for most of it, tells me maybe they don't value him like we think they do, even though he's gotten serious early uh, first-team snaps in camp and some of these games uh, in the preseason. So we'll, we'll just we'll just have to see how that shakes out too. But I think I feel the most optimistic about this Malik McDowell emergence and, 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 and uh, Jordan Elliott really flashing too, that if they even try to keep Tommy – they sacrifice somebody, you can keep him as your fourth or fifth guy and not expose him to too, too many reps, but keep developing him 
there's some interesting options created. I feel so much better about the D tackle room now than I did just uh, just two weeks ago in the first preseason game when I was really, really nervous about it. So that was a big change. We'll see. It's either Elijah Lee or Mac Wilson for the fifth linebacker role. I thought Mac Wilson played really well tonight. Javante Moffitt played well. It's good to see John Johnson get some snaps. Really liked how he played in his limited time. Again, like Richie LeCount, Sheldrick Redwine, clearly on the outside looking in at that safety position. They could keep five of those guys, though. If they do keep five, that's where Javante Moffitt or Sheldrick Redwine type of decision comes. MJ Stewart, availability issues, probably not going to make the roster. It's just the way, the nature of the beast, man. So, there, listen, there's a ton of decisions to be made. I think the fourth be in between Porter Gustin and Curtis, uh, sorry, Porter Gustin, and Joe Jackson is interesting. It's a question we get in the Twitch conversation coming up. There's so many moving parts here. I'm going to try to write up my 53-man uh, tonight. Uh, well, not tonight. It's 1.30 now. Uh, I'm going to try to write it up by tomorrow and have it to share on my podcast. Fred Greetham will have his up. There will be a ton of discussion. I'll have some reaction to it throughout the day if we see some early movement happen. But the, the 53 is not going to be something I'm going to complain about because there's just so much talent and they'll find a way to make it work. It'll be just it'll be interesting to analyze those decisions. We'll have a Tuesday show up on that. So uh, we're going to get over to our Twitch conversation, which has a Q&A with a ton of things about my reaction to the game. As usual, you'll get my deep dive on Monday and or sorry Tuesday and Wednesday, where you'll get all my insights on how the offense and defense collectively played. So keep your eye out for that. But for now, let's get over to our interview show segment, whatever you want to call it, with a. Twitch Q&A where we were involving everybody who was in the show, getting all those questions answered. It's a great time. Stayed up way too late. As I'm too late recording this, let's get over to that Twitch Q&A right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, okay, so we are going to do hot and fire, rapid. I, I introduced the segment terrible. We're going to answer as many questions as we can. There's been a ton of questions. Ian's going to throw up some. If you don't get a question answered, uh, go to the ATI. If you are a, a website user, go to our Ask the Insider section as a subscriber and throw it in there, and we'll get it answered for you. First question, Steve, we'll go to you first, then back to me. Be as succinct as you can. With McDowell's play, could he start next to Jackson week one? Yes, I'd actually be kind of surprised if he doesn't. I, I I thought he played one tech and three tech today. That ball, the you know he played a lot of three tech. That one tech that he played where he was over the center, that was that was you know it's shade where Billings typically plays. And and I don't know they might like Billings a lot, but I think he can certainly play there. So if he has a great two weeks of practice, we'll see we'll see what the snap counts look like. Zero chance Natson makes a fifty three. I wouldn't say zero percent chance, but I would say it is very low. That wide receiver position is too crowded, and they have too many skilled guys who can handle the specials that he was brought in to do uh, last year when they were a little more thin. 
So I wouldn't say zero, but it's low. It's yeah, I, I, I wouldn't high. say zero, uh, but unless there's you know an injury that we haven't heard about, or they make a trade or two, like like we wake we all wake up tomorrow and Andrew Barry has gone nuts and they've made a trade with Kadero uh, 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 Hodge and Rashard Higgins or something, you know, something insane like that. Yeah. But outside of that, or a, a, a slew of injuries that we haven't thought about, I I just don't see it at this point. Who has a better chance to make it, LeCount or Moffitt? I would say. Um, LeCount because they invested draft capital in him. They they UDFA'd Moffitt last year. Now, listen, I've talked to Steve about this off air. And this I say those things because that means we're thinking them and we're talking about them. So it's I think it's sometimes important to note them. Moffitt has played almost every snap at strong safety in mm -hmm. these preseason games. Now, Ronnie Harrison saw some time tonight, but he's been playing a ton. He knows the system inside now. I don't think he's as skilled as some people that they can find, but if they want to keep a fifth safety, a guy that knows where he's supposed to be and is just downright solid. I could see them keeping him, but as far as a guy ahead of the other, uh, I think LeCount is, is is going to be a guy they would prioritize over Moffitt. I just think they invested money in him. He's had a nice showing, a couple nice showings in the preseason. He's where he needs to be most of the time. He's got range back there. He's got leadership traits that it carried over from Georgia. Uh, I just think that they would prioritize LeCount in that scenario. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's not an either-or situation, uh, especially with the uncertainty about Grant Delpit and his hamstring and his Achilles and everything like that. Um, I, But if you forced me to pick one, I agree with what you just said. He was this year's draft pick. He has shown some nice stuff. He's shown what they, I think they needed him to be in that room. They've got the safeties playing closer up, covered. Uh, mm -hmm. Without Grant Delpit, R Richard LeCount has shown more than anybody else back there. Uh, as far as the deep center fielder, or you know, however you want to uh, sure. phrase it. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's an either or. Right now, my gut is telling me they're both on the initial 53. Uh, but if you force me to pick one, I, I'm with you. I'd pick LeCount. Nick Harris, did he do enough to be the backup center? Uh, I think the Michael Dunn back injury has probably forced this to be a reality. I thought that they were, if everybody was healthy and the status quo was unchanged, there was a real situation where Harris just being a backup center could be on the on the hot seat, but he's playing. Michael Dunn is a fringe situation. I still am not crazy about Blake Hands. I think he's okay. A little too leaky in zone concepts or he doesn't trade off the way I need him to trade off or scoop block the way I would like him to. And sometimes pass pro doesn't handle exchange as well. But Nick Harris, again, a guy they invested in. They drafted him in the, what, fifth round. They got a free pick from uh, moving, moving back. So, they, they selected him. He can move. He's nice in the lateral run schemes. He's okay. I would imagine right now he has done enough to be the backup center, and I, I would suspect he's on the opening roster. Yeah, I think, uh, and you hate to read too much into who played first and who played last because there's different reasons for doing both of those things from different uh, coaching staffs, but the fact that he was in there with Baker Mayfield, who they want to protect at all costs, that was the most important thing from tonight even more important than Malik McDowell was making sure six walked out of there with four healthy limbs. And the fact that they chose Nick Harris to be the guy snapping the ball while six was in the game speaks volumes to me on what the coaching staff thinks about the pecking order there. And until we find out, like you said about the severity of Michael Dunn's back injury, uh, I, yes, I think he has done enough at this point. So Porter Gustin, Joe Jackson, D and four, if they keep four, that's a really tough call. I I have liked a lot of what I've seen from Joe Jackson, who has played with enough leverage and power. He has some explosion to turn the corner every now and again. I like him. He's a solid player. He has more skill upside than Porter Gustin, but Porter Gustin is a very, very strong 
point of attack player doesn't create much ru- pass rush through kind of the natural or organic skill stuff that comes innately to some guys. It's a toss up in my opinion. I would lean Joe Jackson, but uh, yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with either for that fourth D end role. That's just me, Steve. Yeah, I would say the same thing. And I would also say that if they end up going with four, if they go six IDL and four edge because of the versatility of some of the guys in that IDL room, namely Malik mm-hmm. Jackson and Malik McDowell, that fourth edge might not be on the roster because edge is another place that if you've been following the bubble watch article, there are a lot of really interesting guys. Maybe they all sneak into their respective 53s, but man, there's some really interesting guys who would be perfect for a fourth edge uh, that are, they're going to be available here or might already be available at this point. But yeah, I, I would put Joe Jackson just a slightly ahead of Port Augustine at this point. Is Austin Hooper, this comes from S underscore West. I should be reading your names. I seriously apologize. It's past midnight. I'm I'm losing my mind here, but we're going to hang out and answer all your questions as long as Steve is. I will. Is Austin Hooper the number two tight end? <laughs> I think we need to come to an acceptance that Austin Hooper is the first tight end in this rotation, guys. I, I love David Njoku. I think they want to have a future for him. I just think if you look at the snap count at the end of the year, it's going to be Austin Hooper. If if it changes, we will start to see a, sh- a subtle shift. He had that drop tonight on a contested throw there on fourth down, I believe. It will see. I need to rewatch it, guys. I, I'm watching and taking notes. Like I take these ludicrous notes during the game. Can you see them? I track every drive. I track personnel. It's stupid what I do during the game. But I need to rewatch the All-22 to see what some of these things look like. But um, I just think Hooper is a guy they trust a lot. Yeah, we all call Cody in there. Good, good point, Ian. Um, they trust him. They they want to continue to use him. I think that they will give David chances. If David continues to do as he's done, they'll, they'll be another contract for him in Cleveland if he wants it. There'll be uh, plenty more snaps for him here as the year wears on. And if it if Hooper continues to have some, some issues bringing in important catches, there could be a shift in the middle of the year. But for now, I truly believe it's Austin is the first tight end. David is going to get a ton of snaps as the second tight end. And they use 13 personnel more than anybody in the NFL. And again, they ran over 502 plus tight end sets last year. They led the NFL by a wide margin. They will continue to use two tight ends minimum uh, on a lot of snaps. They'll put them in empty. They'll put them in uh, the same side. They'll put them in split uh, opposite sides in the wings. They'll they'll motion one to the backfield and have him be a lead blocker. Like they're going to use these tight ends. I, I just think Hooper continues to lead that room at least for this year. But if David overtook him by the end of the year, wouldn't be surprised, Steve. I think uh, the tight end one and tight end two is kind of an irrelevant thing in this system. Kind of like the way you described wide receiver three. It all depends on the package and the system, the scenario, and all that kind of stuff. I personally, yeah, I think the higher upside is David Njoku, but I felt that for several years. So is this the year he finally takes that leap? I think it could be. I think he's looked absolutely fantastic. And the fact that he changed from Drew Rosenhaus, I can't overstate what that says about his mental focus. He's focused on things now, uh, on the right things. But I think ultimately tight end one, tight end two in this particular offense kind of irrelevant really they're both going to be out there they're both going to be doing whatever and whichever guy has the hot hand and is the better matchup for each particular week he's going to be the guy getting the most targets for that week yeah if they can get david njoku in some situations where he can go up and get it over slot defenders yeah Mm -hmm. they'll do that and harrison bryant as your third tight end is pretty freaking good man the luxury man after hearing these shows and watching the games not sure who qualifies 
What players could a uh, Andrew Barry seek for seek a trade for? Man, that's hard. I I don't know that they need to get crazy and go out and trade for somebody. Steve, you do more study on this than I do. Do you have anyone off the top of your head? Well, I, I don't think there's anybody that they should be going out and specifically targeting uh, that saying, you know, without knowing who's where. But we know that there are certain teams like we've all thought that wide receiver was one of the positions they could trade to get something in return. And if you look around who needs a wide receiver, well, the Eagles need some wide receiver depth and they've got defensive end help. They've got defensive end surplus. The Lions desperately need. Uh, wide receiver help, but I don't know if they have anything player. That would probably be a pick thing uh, coming back from Detroit because I've looked at their roster uh, with the possible exception of interior defensive lineman Kevin Strong, unless they're going to trade somebody that we just can't imagine them trading. I don't see what they have coming back. Um, if you're going to trade an offensive lineman, uh, maybe you're looking at uh, Indianapolis and they've got some, you know, some edge help that could come back. There's some extra safeties and extra edge help out in Denver. Does Denver need a wide receiver? or a, uh, an offensive lineman. If you can get Jamar Johnson back here as the safety who appears to be on the outside looking in in Denver's safety rotation, I'm sorry. I, I like him as much or better than the guys that we've just been talking about at the back end of the safety room. So the, 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 the uh, luxury of this year of having too many good guys is the bubble watch has taken on a completely different feel. Instead of the bubble watch being we need to find somebody at this position, absolutely have to get another whatever, it's well, we've got this surplus. Who's got something we could use another piece at? It, it, it's it's a totally different feel. So that's the question: finding somebody who needs a wide receiver, finding somebody who needs an extra offensive lineman, and has something to give us in return. Good answer, great answer, better than anything I have on that front. Um, who do you think will be one or two surprise cuts that nobody suspects and always happens? I don't know about the always. It does always happen a cut you don't expect. Um, I have noted Andrew Billings. I, I just as a guy who there's a lot of reasons surrounding it. I won't go deep into it again since we've already answered it. But um, you know, I think I think Billings is a guy that if they decided, hey, we have to keep Tommy Togiai, is there a huge massive drop off there in play? No, I have not seen it. And I need to rewatch this game, but I have not seen some massive drop off. You got to trust me on this. I've broken it down and I brought people in to watch the film. It's it's Andrew Billings has not played well, but is there something there more? They know that I don't know that maybe he's practicing well again. I don't know that. So he is a guy that if 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 he were cut, I would I would not be surprised if that were to happen. Um, otherwise, defensively, nothing else really comes to mind. I think on the offensive side, there's going to be a wide receiver cut you don't like. Not that it's a surprise, but that you do not like maybe even the one that you do not suspect could be Kadero Hodge. Could be somebody else. Just, just I think that's the place that I go to when I think of it. The only other surprise cut that I could see happen is they could get serious about just saying we don't need a fullback. I, I, I think they could say that. It's in the realm of outcomes where they say we want to keep Felton, we want to keep Johnson, we want to keep this Jordan Franks because we love his upside as the fourth tight end. We want to keep six receivers, want to keep ten offensive linemen. We don't use the fullback more than five snaps on average of the rest of the you know two thirds of the year last year. They did not use the fullback more than five times. Some games they did, some games it was lower. It was an average of five times the fullback was on the field. So it would not stun me if they cut Janovich and didn't keep a fullback, period, or if they decided to keep Stanton because of there's more flexibility in what Stanton can do potentially. I think Janovich is kind of a slept on 
uh, guy as, a, as an athlete who can get out and play in space a little bit. But that, that to me, are, are those are the only things that come to mind. Steve, you got anything else? Yeah, Janovich was going to be my uh, suggestion uh, as a surprise cut. And, uh, you know, it sort of ties into what we were saying before. Uh, you know, how do you cut Kaderil Hodge? Well, if they want to keep Dearness Johnson and Demetric Felton and Kaderil Hodge, that's really the only place, unless you're going to really get uh, gamble on offensive line help and and cut a, a Blake Hance or, a, a, you know, a Nick Harris or a Michael Dunn if his back injury is bad or whatever, something like that. Andy Janovich is the only place on the offense that I can think of. And like you said, it just, again, he didn't do anything wrong. His usage just dwindled. And, you know, like Cody always says, What's the most added value? Who gives you a better chance to score more points? Dearness Johnson, Demetric Felton, and Kadero Hodge, or Andy Janovich plus two of those guys? I, I, I you know, I mean, I, I don't. It's not that I don't see the value in a fullback. Uh, I just think they can they can sort of you know piece together that with their tight ends if they have to for the five snaps a game. Agreed. And Janovich is good. We're not calling for him to be cut. I'm just right. we're just saying like this is something they could do. I think Andy Janovich is a great fullback. No problem with him. I you know I expect him to be on the roster. But if you're asking for surprise people, right. those are our surprise people. That's um, the question. Surprise, not yeah. people you want cut. It's surprise yeah. cut. That was the question. So for sure, 15 minutes or so, guys. We're going to hang around till about 12:35 ish is the goal here to hang around until then. Keep firing your questions over. We'll keep trying to answer them. Scouting service asked us, Tommy Togiai, what do you do with them? It's a fantastic question. I think we have all presumed that the Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell, and are going to make the. They've been, you know, Malik Jackson. We know is a real player. There's no doubt about that. We haven't seen him in preseason, but we don't need to, to have him take preseason snaps to show you that. Um, Malik McDowell has popped. Jordan Elliott has popped. I view those as three rosterable guys. Andrew Billings, who's continued to start in the preseason, is probably a guy that makes the roster. I called a surprise cut there. Could happen. Think he's going to make the roster. So that's four. If they keep a fifth. That's where it gets dicey. You know, do they like Sheldon Day? He, like we talked about, he played a lot of late snaps in this game, which to me is usually an indication if you're playing into the fourth quarter in the third preseason game, they don't totally value you like a guy they're going to keep. But they could. They could just be saying, hey, wh wh what about if we uh, chime it in to see if he has flexibility? He's a, he's He's been getting meaningful camp snaps. Like he's been right. rotating in with the ones. So that's five. If they keep five, which is in the realm of possibilities here, then okay, do they keep Day? Do they keep Tommy Togia? Because it's it's a challenging thing. Does Togiai uh, pass through waivers? I don't know. So that's why I've thought if they ended up keeping four and they said, hey, we need the best mix of guys we think can help now and later, then that's where I thought Billings could be dicey because you have four years of a contract with with Tommy Togiai while Billings is under a one-year deal. And if you only wanted to keep four because you know Clowney's going to get some inside snaps and you know there's going to be some different tweaks, then it's like that's where the four guys. You would have two guys in the front line between Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell, who I think would be difference makers. You get you get uh, um, Jordan Elliott playing better, and then you can you can try to slowly bring along Togiai. Again, I'm, I'm guessing, but they're – we thought that they were going to have a bunch of problems with the interior D-line. I feel better about it, Steve, than I did a couple couple games ago. I think that Malik McDowell's emergence and Jordan Elliott showing some things is like, okay, I can see how this can work this year. That, well, that and not... Sheldon Day, might, the question we had a little bit ago, who's the fourth uh, edge? Maybe that's what they were doing tonight. Maybe they, maybe he's – because your fourth edge doesn't get a ton of, of snaps. You rely on your three edges mostly, your top three guys, to do most of the serious pass rushing. If Sheldon Day can show enough to be the fourth edge, 
he also provides security on the interior defensive line, another guy who can rotate in there. And then that allows you to keep either Tommy Togiai or Marvin Wilson on the initial 53. The other guy, you're either going to have to make up that they came up with some mysterious injury and, and stick them on season-ending IR, or you're going to have to expose them to waivers and risk losing them. That's just the way it is. Maybe that's what they were doing with Sheldon Day tonight. I don't know. They could go any number of ways at the bottom end of those two uh, at those two position groups. And Sheldon Day, like we said earlier, he's done everything they've asked of him to a level higher than they expected, and he still might. it still might not be enough on this team. It's good stuff. B. Sarad asks, does it matter when pl- when a player gets cut in order to get back on the practice squad? So, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't. There are going to be some, some interesting sort of things, Steve, that I don't understand. Maybe you will understand all of them, but they will do some intricate things to try to make guys uh, kept on the roster that we'll hear about later, the understanding for why they do it again. Uh, don't freak out with initial news of maybe they move somebody to the, to to a different you know, to the IR whatever. We'll see who they let the week play out. Let the let the waiver wire right. play out. Let the week play out, and then get into game week, and we'll know what the fifty three man roster is going to look like. Uh, they they th- here's the important thing to understand: they cannot just IR a guy without him making the fifty three, without him going through waivers. Okay, he has to pass well, the waiver. They can, but it but his season's over. Yes, 100%. There's no yeah. bringing him back. So that's something to keep Everybody says, well, just IR that guy and you can keep – well, then he's not allowed to practice. He can't be – the season's he's over done for, for the guy. year. He's done. So, yeah, that's a good idea to keep him around, but he's done. Like he's he, – there's not like – if you do that to Tommy Togiai and you fake some ankle injury and, hey, we're IRing him, you can't get all those practice reps you want to get for him. So there's there's some finagling that has to go on there. So that will be something to – again, don't overreact. We're getting a ton of bits donated, which is phenomenal. Thank you for the bit donations. Uh, 500 bits from I'd rather be in Cleveland again. I got it right this time, my man. Thank you. Or it could be a, could be a female. Uh, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the that's kind of the thing. So we have 200 people still with us. Look, I said 12:35. It's 218 <laughs> of you guys in here. If you have questions to keep firing and you want us to answer, man, we'll go all night. I got nothing better to do. I'm a loser. I'll hang out with you guys. Steve, I don't know. You might have to go to bed. I'll just hang out solo and answer your questions. I'm on the West Coast. Um, it's only 930 out here, which is right. late for a guy my age, but still, I can <laughs> hang out for a while. We'll hang out, man. We'll see where we're at, and we'll go from there. So uh, next question, is it fair to say red wine is gone? Um, I'd be shocked otherwise. I'd be I would shocked be too. if he's around. I will say, Steve, it sucks that he didn't get a chance to defend himself. I think if he, I really wish he would have been healthy to actually go out and, and fight for that role with with LeCount and Moffitt because I wanted to see it. I do think he is going to go. I think he will catch on to a practice squad somewhere. And they might they might be able to circle him back to the Cleveland's practice squad. You don't know. I mean, he hasn't yeah. had a bunch of great NFL tape. I just right. don't think he's going to make this roster, and he might get scooped up by somebody else who are – who is absolutely uh, in desperate need of a can't make a club from the tub, man. Can't. They ain't that. It, I'm just a little bummed for him because I would have liked to have seen him get a chance to uh, to defend his roster spot from last year. But again, I think they got some young safeties that they really like. Do you think McDowell can play a power edge role? Yeah, dude, look at that guy. Of course, he can play a power edge role. He, I, I mean, I'm trying to keep the expectations at a minimum here, but he did things in this in tonight that I saw flashes from Larry Ogunjobi every now and again. But but like he, he the way he was moving people, displacing people, the way he can play skinny when he needs to play skinny, he is a big dude, so he can definitely play strong side edge if he needs to play that role. I have no doubt that he can do that. I just again, what's his conditioning like? How many snaps do they want to get him? 
Uh, how confident are they that he can handle another role with the mental processing that has to go on to handle that role? I just want him eased in along the defensive interior and just say, hey, man, don't think, go play. Don't think, go play. And I think if you allow him to not think and go play and use the brute strength and power speed combination that he has, Steve, I think he can be really good, man. I think, But I think if they get to the midseason point and they want to bump him outside, hey, man, we're going to move Clowney in here, get a little more speed along the interior. What do you think about holding down that edge? Yeah, I'll do it. Gotcha, coach. I think you yeah. can handle it. And, you know, frankly, who's going to tell him no? I mean, <laughs> I mean look yeah. at the guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think he should do this, coach. Well, you tell him. I'm not yeah. going over there. Were you kidding me? The guy's a He's a house with feet, man. Yeah. It's crazy how uh, – yeah, I think he can do – pretty much whatever he wants to do on that defensive line. Uh, I, I haven't seen him drop into coverage, and I don't think you would want him to, but he's athletic enough to pull it off. For this question, I, honestly, I'm shocked they haven't IR'd Phillips already. I have not seen a single doctor or a single report anywhere say torn bicep is anything less than 10 months. That's the fastest. Normally, they say a year. Um, so unless it's not a full tear or they know something that we don't know, I honestly don't know why they're delaying on Jacob Phillips um, because torn bicep is done for the year. And there's another question in there about Tony Fields. I'm shocked they brought him back to practice. Guy missed all of rookie minicamp, all of OTAs, all of, of minicamp, all of camp, a fifth-round rookie, and then they bring him back to practice this week. I was sure he was going to be a season-ending IR, which is definitely the place for him uh, this year since he's gotten zero reps. But – uh, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I would think him and Phillips are definitely uh, uh, season-ending IR candidates uh, at this point. So I don't, I don't know. know. How does he come back? I don't understand. That injury is it's pretty bad. I don't really understand I, how I they could bring him back. I, I think we'll see that move made. I, I, they're probably just not in a hurry to do it right this second with the, the decisions looming. And I think those guys with their uh, with their Ivy League degrees will have a plan for for what to do with him. It's just they're smarter yeah, than we are. are. They're definitely smarter than we are. I uh, I just, it's a little interesting. Thanks, Zofinda. Thanks yeah. for sticking around. Yeah, I think I know who that is. I think that's my my friend Griffin from 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 my hometown. But I'm not sure. Maybe it is. Maybe he'll comment and tell us. But uh, I've, I've, that's a unique name. So anyway, um. Back back to the topic at hand. Uh, what is the stacked roster? Or sorry, with the stacked roster, what is our realistic window for how long we can afford them all? That's a deep question. Um, I don't have a great answer. They're going to keep the guys that are important. Like they're, they're going to sign Baker. They're going to sign Denzel. But there are going to be some guys that they can't keep on the middling part. Look at how the Saints have had to go about keeping some big day, big name guys. But let me think of some examples, Steve. Like. Um, Shoot, I'm trying to think of some good, like good players you don't want to see leave, like the Richard Higgins of the world, or um, David Njoku would be an example. Guy that's not going to break the bank on his next contract, but a guy that you would just have to draft a replacement for. Like those are the types of guys. Jarvis and Odell in another year or two. Yeah, like yeah, they're they're uh, um, they're they're just going to have tough to. It's a hard question to answer right now. It's a good question, list of seventy three. But like, I think the window is the next. What we're looking at a realistic window. It's a nice five-year window to me, Steve. And yep. a young age of Baker, young age still of Nick, Denzel, and it'll evolve. You know, as every quarterback, if Baker's here for a decade, the roster will evolve. It'll all change. But I see like a nice three to five-year window right here, in my opinion. Well, here's the thing with the salary cap. People say the salary cap is a myth, and I am in that camp, but that's a misnomer. People mean it to take things that it's not. What it means is – you can creatively push the bill coming due beyond the end of your window. The bill will come due. 
You can be as creative as you want. Smart teams can spread money around. Really smart teams get to a point where you don't have to spread money around. But if you are in a Super Bowl window and you want championship players that can realistically hoist a Lombardi, at some point you got to pay them. People always say, oh, you can get 80% of the production for you know half the price. Well, that extra 20% of the production that you're not getting, that's the difference between 11 and 5, 14 and 2, home, home field advantage and a Super Bowl championship. You have to play it. So can they push, can they afford all of these guys through the next five years? Yes, absolutely. There is always a way. If there is, if the team and the player both have a desire to make it work financially, there is absolutely a way to push the bill coming due to year six or year seven when you've aged out of your window and you're no longer a championship contender. The bill will come due. But if they push it all the way through to six, seven years from now, and in that span, they've gone to three Super Bowls and won two, are you going to care in 2028 that they're in cap hell? I'm not. So, you know, yes, they can afford everybody. Will they? Completely different ballgame. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen from year to year. Your roster evolves so much, man. Yep. You know, if Baker, when he hits 30, if that's what we're talking about, the end of the five-year run, like, what does it look like? You don't even know. I mean, the NFL shelf life of all the people around Baker are so malleable, man. It play. changes. Yeah, it's just it's just changing uh, your your and I trust these guys to figure it out. I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm I'm going to enjoy this nice window they're in right now and enjoy the hell out of some guys that we have finally seen them get right. And we'll you know we'll be here to cover all of those moves when they come. How many linebackers do we keep? Who and what percentage uh, of plays do you think we're in four three four two five? Okay, so I think they'll keep around five linebackers because those guys are great, great special teams guys because they can handle the power rolls and they can handle the speed rolls. They're fast enough to still run in space. So I think they keep five. Uh, I will tell you right now, they will play a 4-3 uh, when the teams run 12 personnel. What I mean by 12 personnel is one running back, two tight ends, or two running backs, one tight end, and 21 personnel. They will match the opposing team. They will not be caught with three linebackers on the field when the other team has 11 personnel, which means three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end. The normal thing in the NFL, the Browns are not normal. They don't run 11 personnel that much. Only team that ran less than them last year was the Minnesota Vikings. Okay. They, they tied with the Tennessee Titans for the second lowest NFL usage of 11 personnel. Teams across the NFL use it like crazy. So 4-2-5 is the base. It's just going to be what they play the most. They're going to play a slot corner. They're going to play Troy Hill. They're going to play Greg Newsom. They're going to play it a ton. So, But again, just because you have three linebackers not on the field every single snap, uh, Malcolm Smith will rotate in and play pass coverage snaps. Uh, you'll have injuries you have to deal with. Mac Wilson will be there around. Sione Takitaki will come in and play the Sam linebacker who creeps up to the line of scrimmage and base personnel in, in – offensive heavy personnel sets like i said earlier one or two tight end or sorry two to three tight ends or an extra uh, extra running back as a fullback so they i can't give you an exact percentage c3 services it's a good question but they will play a ton of 425 because that is a what joe woods has has audibly said he is a nickel guy he likes to play nickel they'll play a ton of it they'll mix in dime as their safeties and corners get a feel for playing in the slot and grant delpit comes back healthy They'll play more dime, but they will play a ton of nickel. So that is the answer to that question. But you keep around five because you need those guys on specials. They can handle being on the punt team because they can block and then run and cover. They need to be on kickoff team because they're tough to block and they make tackles in space. They're used to doing that. They can be on kick return because they're big enough to block people. They're the best gadget guys for special teams. So you will see uh, a lot of those guys kept. And again, they, can, they even if they're only playing two of them, they need those other three for everything else they can offer, whether that's a situational role as a linebacker and certain person 
personnel groupings, or it's running down the football field and special teams, they'll use them. So I, I think you're doing. right. My question would be, who is that fifth one? Because I think the top four are pretty easy. It's JOK, Malcolm Smith, Anthony Walker, and Sione Takitaki. Yep. Now, we, we mentioned Mac Wilson earlier tonight. Did he do enough to hold on to that fifth linebacker spot? Because right now, the if they keep five, uh, it's Mac Wilson, uh, Elijah Lee, Tony Fields or somebody from the outside. I think Tony Fields is going to IR. We should mention Jacob Phillips again. He's going to IR unless something astonishing happens with his arm. Uh, so is it Mac Wilson? Is it Elijah Lee? Or is it do they grab somebody from the outside? Um, your everything you said was spot on, but I I don't know. I think Elijah Lee is extremely fast. And so if if you're talking about a guy who's 95% special teams, you probably lean that way. But Mac Wilson. If he ever puts it all together, I mean, you can see it when he flashes for a player two here and there. You can see this the, the ceiling. It, but you know, you're in what year three, year four now. Mm -hmm. I, is it going to happen? I, I, it's rare for it to for it for the light to go on for a guy after this long at this position. So I don't know. I think you're right. I think they keep five. But who is that fifth one? That's that's the million dollar question. Heck, it could be Willie Harvey for all we know. A guy you and I, I like both Willie liked Harvey. a couple of years ago. But I don't think so. I'm just saying. It's an unknown. Couldn't agree more. I, I do uh, I do think – I don't think they can go wrong with either of them. I think it's an opportunity thing. Elijah Lee has a, a longer history of playing specials, uh, special teams. I think that's mm -hmm. something that is I've, – I've watched it. But Matt can handle it. I, I, I wouldn't – I just don't think they can go wrong. It's a fifth linebacker role. And I, I think each guy is capable. Right. So not going to really worry all too much about it. You're spot on, though. Which one they keep will be interesting. OG Philly with 400-bit donation. You're awesome. It's 1235. I told you when that's when we're going to leave. I'd be doing you a huge disservice. There are 208 people still in here. We would be remiss to walk away from answering your questions because our job at the core is to help you fans connect to the Cleveland Browns, and that's what we're going to keep doing. If you have more questions, fire in your questions. We have one from XL – sorry, VLX Ham. Okay. Do you think Stanton has done enough to make the 53? I do. I do. He's shown the ability to play in different roles. He can play the wing H-back role. He even stepped into the slot, caught a nice bender out against the Giants. He can take running back carries. He can step up and, and play. a nice two. run tonight. Yeah, he he can he can do a bunch of different things. It's just a matter of how much do you trust him to do those things for you. Do you think he can be a competent enough fullback when you want him to? If, he's a, if you're going to use him as your fourth tight end, you could do you feel it's a comfort thing I I, ju I just don't think you can go wrong with him or Andy Janovich so I don't like to say who I prefer but to Stanton done enough yeah of course he's done enough Steve right yeah I think you know has he done enough is a just different question than will he and has he's another one of the guys like we were talking about earlier he may he's done everything that they've asked of him and, and done more than they asked of him but when the music stops there's only 53 chairs and I, is he going to have one of those uh, right now? Honestly, as much as I hate to say this, and we had him on our show last week, and he's a super nice guy, and he's great in the community, and he busts his ass, and he does everything that, that you could possibly want a football player to do, I think he's on the outside looking in right now. I just There's too many combinations where he doesn't make sense, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, but has he done enough? Absolutely. It's similar to the question that somebody asked a, a couple of weeks ago. Will Najoku get the, the giant contract extension at the end of the year? I think he's going to have a year worthy of it. But again, there's only so many dollars to go around. Wyatt Teller, Denzel Ward, but yada, yada, yada. Will he end up getting it? I don't know. But, you know, sometimes guys do everything that they're asked to do and it still doesn't work out in their favor. That's just the nature of this business that they've all chosen. 
Yeah, Dogs QB 13 with a great point. Love staying on the Browns roster if it was 2017. That couldn't be more accurate. I just mm-hmm. – uh, and kind of the same thing with Njoku. If this was 2017, Njoku would have another contract, but they have Absolutely. a lot of good players, and they got a lot of really hard decisions to make. Right. So they're trying to be patient with that thing, and they're trying to be patient with a lot of different things. Stanton has done enough, um, and he's he's – someone asked right now, can he kick? I bet he would be able to make an extra point for you. I, I wouldn't doubt it. He can do a lot of different things. He was a college things. quarterback, so he, yeah. He can do a bunch of different things. I wouldn't be surprised. Greg – 1054 asked, do the Browns have an answer at left tackle or that answer, sorry, will that question answer itself after this year? I, I think Jed Wills is a fine left tackle. I think that we have He's to remember fine. some things about Jed. I get annoyed with the, the offside penalties. He had another false start. I'm sorry. He had a false start penalty tonight. It's a thing that he's got to get out of his system. Again, first live game action, first real formidable crowd he's played against too. Browns didn't face many good road crowds and there were a lot of people in Atlanta for the early portions of the game. But I have to reiterate this as people have asked me all the time about Jed Will's performance last year. It was pretty dang solid for a guy who has never played left tackle. Right. It is a huge thing. Thank you for following us. There's uh, no uh, off season. GJ Hearn in there, I think is the name. He did not have an off season with coaching to switch the side he needed to switch to to get the to get all of the necessary intricate details that are so important to being able to switch sides and hit the ground running and he did there are some little things i'd like him to clean up he helmet cams it sometimes where he'll if you go back and watch the touchdown throw tonight from baker to hodge he uh, he's running the backside course on this play action pass and he just stops Find work. I need him to find work when he thinks plays are over until you hear a whistle, find work. But technique, athleticism, it's all there. It's all there. It's a repetition thing. Again, if a guy plays right tackle for 15 years of his life and all of a sudden has to go on the other side, that is an adjustment process. Ask any offensive lineman that has any experience in the NFL, and they'll talk to you about that muscle memory adjustment issue. It's happened to so many of these guys. There was just a conversation the other day about a guy switching from the right side to up Panay Sewell about how hard it is to switch to the right and left, and Panay has noted it, and he's struggling. If you you saw – if you saw Jed Wills playing like Panay Sewell is playing for the Lions right now, you would lose your mind. I'm telling you, he's struggling. It's not easy. It is a it is a kudos to Jed Wills for being able to handle this the way he has handled it and to play well. He's going to be fine. He's only going to get better. I think he's a heck of a football player, and we should be very happy he's this young left tackle on a great offensive line where he doesn't have to be the burden to carry where he has four – fantastic players around him to fit in the, into the collective group. I just can't reiterate enough. He's not perfect. He's not a finished product. But, man, what he's done in a short period of time to switch sides in an important position, the paramount position in the NFL, left tackle. Again, I get it, right tackle, left tackle, equaling. The left tackle position's challenging, man, and I thought he handled it pretty well his first year. That's a little rant, but that's where I'm at with it. I think he is. he's slept on. I think he's a pretty good football player. Yes, he's fine. I, I have nothing to add. He, he's been no, you know, everything we said before, virtual offseason, switching sides right to left, COVID year, all that kind of stuff. And he still played pretty damn well for most of the year last year. Yeah, he's had some lapses here this summer, uh, but I, I think he's going to be fine. I, I, I really it's not an Jedrick, Jedrick Wills is not an issue until he becomes an issue as far as I'm concerned. Yes, uh, it is like Corey Kennan, our good friend here. It's like wiping your butt with the opposite hand. That would yep. not go well for me. It wouldn't no. go well. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, would you cut Higgins? Uh, this comes from G.J. Hernan. Would you cut Higgins to keep Davis or Hodge? I would not cut 
uh, Richard Higgins. I would not cut him. I think he is too valuable to Baker's comfort. I think he is a proven commodity to come in and play different roles. He has lined up in the slot in the preseason. He's played Z. He's played X. He's expanded his knowledge of the playbook to align in different positions and play fine. We all talk about the connection he has with Baker. I think that's a very real thing that we have trackable evidence on. So I would not go out of my way to remove Richard Higgins from this roster. Now, something to take note of is this injury he has. And does that mean he can, there's some finagling they can do to keep a certain number of wide receivers off the bat. Just thinking about it. That's some, they wanted to get creative there. I don't know what they could do, but anyway, that is a, I would not cut him. Uh, First of all, we got to remember Davian Davis is not available until week three. Uh, so figure that into your equations here. Uh, he is not a factor for the initial 53. It's, he's just not. Suspended players do not count against the 53. So take Davian Davis out of your calculations when you're thinking about who stays in the wide receiver room. Would I cut Richard Higgins to keep uh, uh, Kadero Hodge and make uh, room for Davian Davis? No. But we said this a month ago. When you're looking at Kadero Hodge and Richard Higgins, which one's probably going to bring more trade value it's got to be Richard Higgins. So if some, if one of those wide receiver needy teams that we talked about a few minutes ago calls and makes a big offer, you know, it, John Dorsey is known for wildly overpaying when he wants a guy. We know that. We saw it firsthand. If he were to call and, and let's just get crazy and offer a Detroit's third round pick or something like that for Richard Higgins, now you, you've got my attention. I still don't know if I would do it or not because I like Rashard Higgins and I like what he does in this offense and I like what mm-hmm. he does with Baker. But if someone comes in and blows your doors off for Rashard Higgins, that I might consider. But would I just cut him and give up and get nothing back? No, no chance, none whatsoever. It's a good answer. Uh, we answered this question earlier, Mike from Rochester, again about the backup center. The, he, Nick Harris is the backup center. He's just, I don't know if he'll be the eventual starting center, but for now, he's the backup center. Uh, partly because Michael Dunn is is dealing with a back injury and Blake Hans is not as consistent as, as even Nick is. So I believe he is your backup center. Can Stanton kick? We talked about this one. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I bet he toe bashed <laughs> that thing. If you guys remember the old school, kick it with your toe, Lou Groza style. I bet he could find a way to put it through for an extra point if they needed it. Yeah. I think he probably could. Yeah. Um, I think the backup center, if it's not Nick Harris, let's, let's say that they don't, let's say they give up on Nick Harris. Then they've apparently, they've given Blake Hans a lot of reps at reps at center. If Michael Dunn's back injury is not bad that they've given him reps at center. So yes, I think the backup center is on the roster. Is it specifically Nick Harris? That I don't know because mostly because we don't know about Dunn's back. That's the biggest wild card in that particular equation, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, question here from uh, VLX Ham again. Do you think McLaughlin's a starting kicker week one? Yes, yes, I think that's pretty default right now. If yes, what about week 17? I have no reason to think he won't be. Again, huge shrug. We don't know if he struggles. Are crazy. They're crazy. The Browns have shuffled through kickers in the past four years like crazy as well. I, I just, I like how he kicks. The, the, the PAT was quite strange. I, I would need to go back and, like Steve said earlier, um, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, we missed your sarcasm, Blue Jay. My bad. But I mean, you know, we're, I mean, I, I seriously think he could toe bash the football through. He's probably good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I like how he kicks. I thought the football comes off of his foot well. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for following us, uh, B Gibson 91. Shout out to you for following. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get, it gets crazy in Cleveland. Could he lose confidence by the end of the year? Sure. I, I would like them to solve the revolving kicker door, but it's not easy and they're going to continue to, uh, 
to try to get it right. I have no, like I said, Steve mentioned it earlier. Did something weird happen on the hold of that extra point? We'll go back and watch. It was a weird, weird miss where he just seemed to leave it wide open. He's he's clearly a guy who likes to put it on the left hash and just kind of fade it into the goalpost, uh, into the into the middle there. But something happened. He just flew wide open. I, I would be interested to ask him what happened on that, or, or maybe we'll see. But the for now, yeah. Is, especially in Cleveland, because you know we look at Justin Tucker uh, and we see him twice a year, every year. We you have to understand that that is rare in the NFL for one team to have a guy like a Phil Dawson or a Justin Tucker, or a Sebastian Janikowski for a decade plus, who is just aces year after year after year, it does not happen. The vast majority of teams shuffle through these kickers because their mindset, it's so mental with the kicker. It is so mental. And they're like relievers in, in a bullpen in baseball. Guys absolutely lights out for three straight years, and then suddenly he can't get anybody out to save his life, and nothing's different. His velocity is the same. His the drop on his his breaking pitches is the same. But he's lost all of his confidence, and that's what happens with kickers. It can go like that for no reason, and then it can turn on like that again. So, yeah, I think he's fine for now. I thought he, you know, I mean, the ball spins like this. If it's facing this way instead of this way when it hits the crossbar, it bounces the other way and goes through, and he's good from fifty six on that one. So, uh, yeah, I think he's fine for week one, week seventeen. Who knows? You never have any idea on a kicker from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Does OBJ start week one? I think he gets snaps. I think he gets a package of snaps. They'll run him on some specific routes that he feels really comfortable running. Uh, I think he will He will start and play uh, 25 to 30 snaps, Steve. What do you think? Yeah, I, and again, you know, start – is he out there for the first snap of the game? I, I would imagine, but there might be maybe they get a big kick return and the first snap of the game is inside the five and they're in goal line or something like that. But is he is he gonna be the number one receiving option? Yes. He he's the he's the fire the fire breathing closer of, of this uh wide receiver room. Absolutely. The John Rocker. Okay, yeah. anyway. Um Felton looks good. It uh, looks great, but stats are mediocre. Are five to seven plays a game worth that spot if he isn't a returner? I, first, I do think he is a returner. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you uh, – uh, sorry, I should shout out Link Matt 16 Thank you for following. Really appreciate that. Uh, did I miss anyone else who just joined on? Uh, I did not. So, anyway, let's answer this question from w, uh, WNCA. Uh, uh, maybe, Steve, what do you th – how would you go with that one? Boinka. Boink <laughs> Boinka. Um <laughs> Buinka, help us if we screwed that up in the uh, comment section. Uh, that's a good question. I, I think something that I noticed, and I want to throw this at you, Steve, he's more shiftiness, make you miss in a phone booth, than he is mm -hmm. a burner. I did not see like flat-out top-end speed that was running away from people tonight. Uh, I I, I kind of noticed that. But again, there's there's real value. BW in California, schmuck. Okay, gotcha. We, we, you know, I get it now. BWNCA. We need help on these things. Um we didn't mean to mess that up. Uh, I, I think that's a good question. I think Felton's versatility is going to help him like crazy because they can he can help as a running back. He can go in motion. He can do some weird things. I think if you're expecting him to run away for long touchdowns, it's probably not going to happen. Um, yeah, <laughs> I need some capital letters in there, Ian. You're right. I just don't. I with Felt, I like it. I, I just don't know that he's going to make a ton of like breakout plays, Steve. I think he's going to make nice chunk plays he can make a 15 yard gain here and there maybe not a 50 yard gain but I, I like the versatility i like the ability to return punts i think he's got a nice uh, a nice ability to track the football punt return i feel good about him catching it and then making a couple people miss 10 yard punt returns are huge in the nfl mm -hmm. where field position is so vital um so 
uh, yeah, I think I think he's worth it. I, I definitely think he's worth it. I, again, I've been I, tonight was the first time I noticed where maybe he doesn't have like elite runaway speed, but a, a, pr- a pretty good player, man, especially considering all the things that he can do. Yeah, and I think he's fast enough. He's not. I mean, he's not Anthony Schwartz. He's not Odell at his top speed. I don't think that is it. But you, you saw some plays from him in college, and you saw him run away from some people uh, last week and this night and, and tonight. Uh, I mean, obviously not you know an eighty yard gain or anything like that. But I tweeted something, uh, and I noticed it last week. Some of his moves are so subtle. Like he made a guy miss on that opening kick, or maybe it wasn't the opening. One of the kick returns, he made a guy miss, and he didn't even look like he moved. Like the guy had the perfect angle and he just, it was like this subtle shift and the guy was by him. And that, that, like you said, you know, and like we've said with Jarvis, the ability to take a seven yard hitch, make the first guy miss and consistently turn a seven yard throw into a 12 or 13 yard gain is massive in this league. And yes, I do think he's worth it because especially in the red zone, a guy who can make a guy miss in the phone booth and do it consistently like that is a huge weapon to have. Uh, Kareem Hunt smells the end zone. Nick Nick Chubb smells the end zone. David Njoku is fantastic in the red zone. They've got some other red zone targets that have shown themselves to be good. But a guy who can take, you know, a, a screen pass at the twenty-five and is a, immediately a threat for the goal line, and the defense knows that is invaluable. Yes, I think he's absolutely worth a roster spot. I don't even think, I don't even think his spot on the fifty-three is even remotely in question right now. If there is a, a running back not a fullback, a running back who is in question, uh, it's uh, Dearness Johnson. And I don't think he's in question either. I think he's I think he's solidly on the roster. But if they're going to cut one or move on from one, uh, I think it's Dearness and not Demetric Felton. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> I've never, the, the underscore own, own, oath, oh, three and own. I don't know, guys. I'm sorry. It's late. Is there any defense of what A.J. Green did? I would imagine he is getting – absolutely clowned for what oh, yeah. and I I think my guess is AJ Green has not spent his time on many punt teams in his career because he's been the best player on many of the teams that he has played on I have never quite seen anything like what he did just plucking the ball away from the guy I I would love to get an answer from him about uh, uh sorry it's Owen is there the three is for I should know that that's my bad dude um uh I just was like <laughs> What you, what you doing there, man? Like what, I've never seen it. There's no defense for it. I, I'm sh- I would just love to get an answer, but I am sure he is just getting, just getting picked on like crazy, man. Oh so, yeah, and yeah. the look on the punt returner's face from Atlanta, who was like, "What did he did not just do that?" Like, like nobody could believe what. It was just one of those things where you know he's 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 basically a rookie. He's a super excited because it looks like he's going to make the roster and be a part of the rotation and be a part of the team. He's trying to make every play he can make and he just got over he just you know some people said call it a brain fart that he just and you could see it in his face as soon as the play was over he had this look on his face like, "Oh, crap, what did I just do?" So <laughs> It was just, it, it was, was funny, you know, funny, I mean, yeah. yeah, it'll be I a mean, funny film, but I would guarantee Stefanski and the guys will oh, at him in a good way. I think AJ's the making quarter the of a playoff game. It's a yeah. problem, but the, yeah. it's a preseason game against Atlanta. He'll learn yeah. from that. He won't do that again. Yeah. So no, yeah. I would, I would hope not, but it will be a funny moment <laughs> for a guy I think makes the roster. So yeah. it should be fun. A couple shout outs, HV catcher. I hope I got that right. I suck at this. It should be a fun game where we cut up all the clips of me botching people's names. <laughs> Uh, thank you for following, and then like smoking aces. Yes, yeah, seriously, <laughs> smoking aces subscribed. We we really appreciate that subscription, guys. Thank you. Um, 
question on the board here from C three Services: Did Tack McKinley not play because he's not ready to go yet? If so, have you heard what the expectations are with him playing? We just got when you guys learn that he's back, we learn that he's back. We don't have any inside information right this second. Not that we can't get some from Lane in the coming week or Brad in the coming week. I would imagine he did not listen. He was gone from the end of July through the large portion of the first three weeks. So he was out for a while. I think they probably said, we don't think you're quite ready to take on full game reps and they know who he is. He is uh, uh, the, the clearly the third most skilled edge rusher on this team without a doubt. And they will give him opportunities against the chiefs, 15 to 10 to 15 snaps against the chiefs. I expect him to play. So I wouldn't make, I wouldn't dig any deeper than that right now. He's back. He appeared. We don't know what happened. It's not our business. It appears to be something on the personal or mental side. That's between him and the in the front office and Kevin. And uh, I just am happy he's back. I'm happy he seems good, and I'm excited to see him play. Yeah, I think it was more just you know it, when you're away from football for that long, no matter how much you work out on yourself, and we don't know how much uh, he he was doing. It, you're just not in game shape. You know, you just can't handle that kind mm-hmm. of. It's a, it's an unbelievable physical exertion to play NFL football. It's ridiculous. It is. Uh, plus, I think they wanted to get a better look at guys like Malik McDowell and Sheldon Day and the, the end of that edge room and everything else. So why even risk it? You know, I think he was just put into the same group with uh, Miles and, and Jadevian Clowney tonight and said, you know what? You're basically our starting thir- our third starting edge if there is such a thing uh, for the chiefs game. So you're our two B two a two two B, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and get back into shape. You got two more weeks to do wind sprints. We'll, we'll be okay. I agree. And I, and I hope he, he gets where he needs to get. I think he will, uh, eventually get there. A couple more minutes, guys, five more minutes. We'll throw up a couple more questions. Uh, a couple questions I saw because I threw Lane's name out. Lane will be back with us. He's dealing with some personal stuff on, on both the uh, dealing with some some issues personally, but the physical side, and I'm not. It's not my position to dive into. Right. He will eventually be with us. Uh, he is just going through some things. He's got to get right, and then he will be a, a part of what we do here. Is he is a part of the website. He is a, he is Lane is above and beyond the core. He is the face of this place, man. He will be with us eventually. You will get uh, his insights on this on this show at some point. Uh, question now, Daddy for Porter, which I am also a dad for Porter who has preschool. Uh, in the morning, I will tell you right now, I'm going to be so tired, but I'm going to take him to preschool. I'll probably end up crying as I do. I took him last year and it was hard for 10 days, but we'll we'll get through this together. But anyway, can you all speak on Kansas City's O-line matchup with our revamped D-line? We will do so much Kansas City prep for you in the next two weeks, I promise. They're starting two rookies who are very talented, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. They have Orlando Brown, who they traded for. Joe Tooney's obviously a pretty good football player. Lucas Niang, who's a guy I think the Browns can take advantage of. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Obviously, Pat usually balances out some of the O-line issues and the way he plays, but, but what a great, Steve, just what a great, unique matchup that will be in week one, man. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I mean, you know, offensive line, we always hear they have to function as five as one. They have to know each other. They have to trust each other, which I'm sure is a massive part of why Kansas City has played their starters so much this preseason, as we mentioned at the top of this broadcast. Um, but um, it takes time, just like our defenses has a lot of new new pieces that don't really know each other. Their offensive line has a lot of new pieces that don't really know each other. So the the good thing if you're on the defensive side of that particular matchup is the offensive line has to win way more than you have to win on the defensive line to win the overall battle. Defensive line only has to be unbelievably disruptive and screw up six to eight plays, really. 
the, the offensive line can stonewall them the other 40, but if they can make yeah. six to eight giant sacks, strip sacks, you know, stops on third down, stops on fourth down, that's all they need to do. And I think they definitely have the talent to do that. Now, will they? That's a whole other story. And once you break through that line, like you said, Jake, number 15, he's not an easy guy to bring down and he can complete passes at all angles. So it's going to be interesting. I think they have the talent to go in there and win. Will they? I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be a great test. I mean, I, I, I initially hated it, but now I love it. I just love to see where they're at right off. Mm -hmm. A question here from Shooter McGavin 23. Love that name. If you could only choose one Dearness Johnson or Andy Janovich, I'd keep Dearness Johnson in a heartbeat. I think he's got real long-term future potential as a second running back here. And I like I like Andy Janovich a ton. I swear yep. between the Stanton discussions and this one, I'm not trying to get rid of that dude. I promise. I think he I expect him on the roster, and I think he's going to thrive in the role again. Uh, it's just it's just there's they're 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 looking at all these different ways they can finagle future parts of the roster uh, with positions maybe they can be a little lenient on when you have tight ends like Harrison Bryant and and uh, and Hooper who can motion into the backfield. And Joku too, he's he's blocked his butt off the last two years, so he mm -hmm. could be a part of things too. That's it. That's it. It's twelve fifty eight. I'm going to record my own podcast for you to have up in the morning, the OBR film breakdown. That'll be there for you with game day reactions. We answered like an hour of questions here, Steve. I think we covered a lot of things. I, I cannot thank you. We are still sitting at 166 viewers at 1 a.m. <laughs> I love this fan base so much, man. That's you guys crazy. care. You guys care, and we care, and it's a great mesh, and I hope we're doing what you're hoping for with these shows. I think we are. I think we're going to answer your questions as best we can all the time because that interactivity is so great that's what you're here for is to bring your opinions into the show and to hear our opinions and enjoy this football team and i think it's going to be a fun ride a three and oh preseason let's parlay this sucker into some some fun football in the season steve thanks uh for sticking it out i know you're left coast you got a little bit of wiggle room on time but you're taking all evening to hang out steve thank you so much man and ian as well thank you ian for producing this show and battling through the thunderstorm you guys are the best thanks fellas and uh, thanks to Fred. Thanks to Cody. Uh, thanks to all of you for your questions, your subscriptions, your um, your bits, your follows, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, we couldn't do it. Well, we could do it without you, but it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. Oh, so not nearly as much. fun. Yeah. So, yeah, thank uh, you guys. yeah, you guys are awesome. Uh, I had a good time. I had a blast. I'm going to go get some sleep and uh, it's going to be a fun 48 hours, man. We've got uh, we got a lot of stuff. The initial 53 is not the 53. So uh, this next 48 hours is going to be a blast, I think. Yeah, 7 o'clock. We'll be live again tomorrow night. Join us. It'll be a great show. Andy Lida will be back with us hosting. I'll pop in. Steve will be there. We'll talk about things that have happened. If things transpire, we'll be there. We'll talk about it. We'll have a live 53, official 53, air quotes. There'll be moves. But we'll talk about that initial 53 on Tuesday night. I'll maybe sprinkle in a little bit of film, too. Uh, but we'll save some of that for, for the next week. we got to remember, it's a bye week, essentially, coming up. So we'll last through. But 7 o'clock every day this upcoming week. Join us. Be there. Thank you so much, OBR fans, Browns fans. And as usual, go Browns. And that's a wrap on this podcast as well. I really, really apologize that the start of this thing and the audio quality was not as great as it usually is. I made a I made a mistake, but I do not have time to correct it. Getting my son to preschool for the first time at his new school a little bit last year new school so a ton of things riding here in the morning i can't wait any longer it's 140 got to get to bed appreciate you guys checking out this pod subscribing to it downloading it as you have been we'll continue to have great breakdowns with all 22 insights over the next two days we'll have our usual guests we'll start to prepare for what the chiefs look like it's going to be a blast ton of fun coming with the 2021 nfl season thanks for joining this podcast have a fantastic monday and go browns 
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.